how many of you are particularly energetic today? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that is so funny. I predicted this. Um, so I asked that question in the first service, and then all these hands shot up, and people clapped, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, because you're the first service. Like, the people who are coming to the second service are still in bed during the first service, right? You guys are just, like, wiping the sleep out of your eye right now, aren't you? It's so funny. You would think the first service people would be kind of sleepy and dragging themselves in. It's exactly the opposite. They come skipping in here and sit down, and you guys come dragging in like this, and it's so funny. So I guess the morning people and the not-so-morning people, because um, when I say, how many of you are feeling particularly energetic, I'm hoping to hear, yay, not, uh, <laughs> which is kind of what I heard, so that's pretty funny. Um, have you ever been so exhausted that you just said, I cannot go on anymore unless I get some rest? It's just like too much. You get to a point, don't you, sometimes where your body says to you, I am finished giving you energy. Until you replenish me, there's going to be no more, right? And you just absolutely hit the wall. And I love this picture because this is how a lot of us have been, right? It's not that you don't still have work to do. It's that you still don't have any energy to do your work with. And so you fall asleep on your work. And you think that maybe by osmosis, those books will get into your head if you lay your head on the books or something like that. Um, sometimes your body just insists that you get some rest. And you, you pick this up at different times, like if, if you ever made a long drive late at night, this is painful, right? And if you're driving, this is what always scares me. Time passes while I'm driving tired late at night and I don't remember it passing. Isn't that terrifying? You're like, you're coming up the 605, you got on the 605 in, say, Lakewood, and you're coming up the 605, and the next thing you think is, oh, look, I'm in Irwindale. You know, wow, how did that happen? I don't remember any of the signs that I passed. I don't remember any off-ramps. I don't remember changing lanes. Somehow on autopilot, I got here. That is a terrifying feeling when your eyes are just burning out of your skull, and you're just thinking, I think I just slept through the last 15 miles of my driving. Um, I used to have a, a job when I was a youth pastor. I worked another job, and I... I uh, had to be in San Diego. I lived in Pomona. I had to be in San Diego by 5.30 every morning. I know, right? So I'm getting up at like 3 o'clock, jump in the shower, have a quiet time, get on the freeway. They had just, this is the mid-80s. They had just opened the 15 freeway down to San Diego. That was awesome, right? That made, made it a shortcut for me. So I just had this little trip, right? So I would jump on the 15, and, but in those days... All of those cities that are down there now, like, you know, Murrieta and, and uh, Menifee and all those cities that are down there, they were not there. So there was like two or three off-ramps along the way that had any civilization at all. And I remember that I used to get in my truck, drive down there, and be holding onto the wheel, just trying to stay awake. And I'm thinking, if I could just make it, there's an off-ramp in Rancho California where there's a McDonald's. And if I could just get to the McDonald's alive, then I can get off stretch my legs, get a cup of coffee, and pour it on my head. <laughs> and maybe survive the rest of the way down to San Diego. That was my daily ritual. I used to do that every day. But there are times when you're trying your best to hang in there, and you're trying your best to stay awake. Let's say there's some preacher going on and on and on, and you're going, you're trying to stay awake. Um, you know, I, I want to just tell you what I always tell people. If you're fighting it that much while I'm preaching, give up. Just drop the head. I will assume you're praying. It will be fine. Right? But if you do this, then everybody knows, right? Just, just nod off. Try, if anybody snores, the person next to you will elbow you. If there's any drooling, we'll take care of that. Just relax. It's okay. Um, I would probably sleep during some of my sermons if I wasn't standing up. So don't worry about it. But... But there are times when you get to this point where you're so exhausted that you have to have rest and you have to have it now, and it's as simple as that. Well, the reason I'm talking about rest is because the verse that really prompted me to preach this series of messages that we're in the middle of right now called um, Come As You Are is because there's this verse in Matthew 11. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 11. 
There's a verse in Matthew 11 uh, where I'm taking this from, and these posters, I don't know what you call them, banners, artwork that we have on the walls. And if you're sitting over there and I, I motion to this one, it's not the same as that one, but you probably can't tell because of this, but this one says, come to me. And the one over here looks exactly like it, but it says, come with me. And so if you just looked at first glance, you may not even notice that they're not exactly the same artwork. One says, come to me, and one says, come with me. And they're, they're born out of this verse in Matthew 11. And we're going to try to explain a little bit about why they say what they say this morning. So go to Matthew eleven twenty eight, And I'm going to give you the foundational verse for this whole series of messages I've been doing. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus speaking here. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Can't you just picture in your mind's eye Jesus with outstretched, nail-pierced hands looking at you in the midst of your struggles and challenges and saying, come to me. Because I have something in mind for your life that is so far beyond what you have come to call normal. And I'm calling you to come to me, Jesus says, because when you come to me, that is when you will find rest. And I want you to notice specifically what it says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Which is so interesting because all the illustrations I just gave about being tired and needing rest, they don't necessarily have anything to do with the soul, right? They have to do with the body. And when you're physically pushing it to the limit and it's time for rest and it's time for food and it's time for sleep and all those kinds of things. But when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, he is talking about a kind of rest that is entirely different than that. He's talking about rest for your soul, rest for the inner person, rest that rejuvenates you from the inside out that is far beyond physiological. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's intellectual. It's, it's, um, it's hard to put your finger on it. I'm going to give you rest, Jesus says, for your soul. And he goes on and he says, because if you come to me, you're going to find something to be true. My yoke is easy. Now, what's a yoke? That's the yellow part of an egg, right? No, that's not when you order your eggs over easy. No, that's not what he's talking about. My yoke, he says, Y-O-K-E, is easy. What is a yoke? A yoke is the, is the collar that goes around a beast of burden like an ox goes around his neck so that when the ox pushes against it with his shoulders, he can pull a plow or a wagon or whatever it is that he's pulling, right? So you put a yoke on an ox or even on a horse or some other kind of animal that is, that is going to pull the weight. And Jesus says, if you come to me, there is a yoke involved. But he says, my yoke is easy. And one of the things we have to picture is not just the yoke that you would maybe put around the neck of an ox, but a double yoke. That's what Jesus apparently has in mind here. Because if you have a team of oxen, you're going to have them marching side by side, shoulder by shoulder, right? And instead of giving them each their own yoke so they can go off in different directions, you give them one wooden yoke that is double. And it goes on each of their necks, and they walk side by side, and they share the weight. Now, if you have two oxen that are the exact same size and strength and all of that, and you can yoke them together then they can cut one ox's workload in half, or they could do double the work, right? But picture this, because I think this is more what Jesus had in mind. No farmer would ever do this, but imagine that you had a full-grown, fully trained, powerful ox, and then you also had a, a baby ox that was just learning to do this, and you wanted to train the baby ox. You would make a yoke that was big on this side, and then went down and was little on this side, right? And you would put them together so they would walk together. And the little ox would think he was doing the same work as the big ox. But who would be doing all the work? The big ox, right? 
I used to let my son walk behind me to mow the lawn. He wanted to help. Do you ever have a three-year-old helping with yard work? It doesn't always help, right? But he wants to help. And he wants to be like that. So you get him out there behind the, the lawnmower, and you put him between you and the lawnmower, and he holds on to the thing like this. And then you get behind him, and you hold on, and you push. And he walks with you, and he thinks he's on the team, right? He thinks that he's just as important a part of this as you are. He thinks you're doing this together. But in fact, you know you're doing all the work and you're just hoping he doesn't get his toes cut off and you have to face his mother. That's what you're hoping, right? So Jesus has got this in mind when he says, my yoke is easy. He's saying, it's not, I'm not telling you that when you come to me, there will be no yoke. He's saying, there, I'm going to bear the weight. You're just a little guy. I'll take care of the weight. All I want is for you to be tethered to me so we walk together. That's all he's asking. And he says, I will bear the weight that you're used to bearing. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, borrowing from, uh, borrowing from farm animals, if you had a donkey that you would put a big pack on the back of it so that it would carry the pack and you would walk alongside of it because it has so much more strength. And it doesn't matter how heavy the pack is, how heavy the burden is, because a donkey can handle a burden that is much heavier than the burden that you can handle. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry, I will handle the burden. It will be light for you, even though it weighs so much. And so he's calling us and he says, come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. But that's not the whole story. Because I want you to flip just a couple of pages to the right to Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew 16, he says something that especially in light of the verse that we just read, is kind of shocking. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now that's a strange thing to say. After he just said, come to me and I will make sure that your burden is carried. Come to me, I will make sure that your yoke is light. Come to me and I will give you what? Rest for your soul. And then... Just a couple pages later, the same Jesus says, if anyone answers my call to come to me, when you answer the call, you better be willing to lay down your whole life. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, then he must take up his own cross daily and follow me. Now, in our society today, this idea of bearing your cross or having a cross to bear is kind of a colloquialism, right? So if you, have a, if you have a cranky husband, you say, well, he's my cross to bear. We all have our cross to bear. Some of you are looking right at your husband as I say that. That is so interesting. Um, it, you know, if you, if you have a, a trick knee and you walk with a limp, you say, well, we all have our cross to bear. That is not what Jesus is talking about when he says you have to take up your cross daily. We have to spin the clock back 2,000 years to the Roman Empire when the only use of a cross was as a device for torture and death. See, for us, a cross is a piece of jewelry. It's a piece of decoration. It is a, it is a symbol in the Christian faith that causes us to swell with joy and hope. But no one thought of a cross like that then. When Jesus said, take up your cross, they knew exactly what he meant because all of them had seen criminals who had been um, convicted of their crime heading up to the mountain where they were going to be crucified and they would cause, make them carry their own cross as a sign of humiliation and shame on their way to their execution. And Jesus himself did exactly the same thing, as you will recall, at the end of his ministry when they took him to crucify him, they didn't just meet him on the hill. They caused him to walk through the streets of Jerusalem carrying his own cross. When Jesus said, you have to take up your cross daily, what he was saying is, you can no longer live for yourself. That part of you is gone. You have to live for me. 
you have to be willing to die to self. Paul says in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified, he says, with Christ. So this is what Jesus is talking about. So on the one hand, he says things like, if you come to me, your, your yoke will be easy, your burden will be light, and you will have rest. And on the other hand, he says, if you come to me, you are going to have to lay down your life and die. And he goes on and says, you know, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And so he says, you're going to have to die to self to become alive in me. And we look at those two things and we go, well, how do those statements add up? From the same guy, he makes those statements. How do those add up? How can his yoke be easy and his burden light if the cost of discipleship is as high as he's saying it is? And before we get, get into answering that question, I, I want to divert just a little bit because I think this will help. And I want to show you something. We've been talking for weeks now about this calling of Jesus, these, these callings. Come to me and come with me, right? And we're trying to put them ever before your eyes so you won't forget that this is the calling that God has upon all of our lives. And when we look at this verse, if we go back to Matthew 11, go back to Matthew 11:28. 28. Let's look at our, at our base verse again. Matthew 11:28. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm sure that many of you know the Bible was not originally written in English. The New Testament was written, written primarily in what is called Koine Greek, which was the common language of the day. And, and this is a dead language. It's not a language that anybody but Bible scholars study. Um, and, and so you may not be familiar with it. That's okay, because I'm familiar with it, and I'm going to tell you about it. This word translated as come in this verse is a specific Greek word, and the Greek word is dute. Now, you're probably going to want to write that down in case you want to have a Greek conversation with someone later. Dute is the word, and what it means is to draw near. So literally, Jesus says, draw near to me, and I will give you rest, okay? It, it, it's just what we think the word come means. It's a good translation. Come to me. Like, as a parent, your kid is playing in their room, and you need to talk to them. What do you say? Come here. And what do they do? Ignore it, right? But you say, come here. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying when he used this particular Greek term. He was saying, come here, and I will give you rest. What's interesting, though, is there's another place. Go to Matthew chapter 4. We'll just bounce around Matthew a little bit. And this is also a very, very well-known passage. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he is calling um, Peter, James, John, and Andrew to leave their, their vocation as fishermen and become his followers, right? And so we're going to pick it up in verse 18, Matthew 4. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now let's stop there. Um, does anybody in their translation, I'm using the New American Standard Bible, anybody using a different translation, does it say something other than follow me in verse 19? Come follow me? Yeah, it's so interesting because this idea of follow me is not really what Jesus said. What he said was, dute. Use the exact same Greek term as he used in chapter 11, verse 28. He said, come to me. The translators often translate it as follow me based on the next couple of verses because in verse 20, it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, and Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So we get this word followed here three times. The first time, it is dute. The next two times, it is an entirely different Greek word. The Greek word is akalateo. Okay, all together now? No. Akalateo, it means to follow one who precedes. It, it means to walk behind. It's like follow the leader, okay? So come to me implies I'm here and I want you to come to me. 
follow me implies that I am going somewhere and I want you to come with me. Which is why we put both of these signs up, come to me and come with me. Because I want you to notice something. Jesus said, said to them, come to me. And their response was not just to come to him, but to what? Follow him. To the mind of a disciple, the, the, there are not two callings, there's only one. You have to understand, Jesus is a rabbi. And in those days, if a rabbi made a calling upon your life and he said, come to me, he was not just asking you to drop by for a Diet Coke. He was saying, I want you to join my ministry team. I want you to follow me. I want you to devote your life to me. And for the rest of your life, I will train you. I will provide for you. I will teach you. I will mentor you. And I will give you a ministry. And I'll multiply myself in you. But to do that, you're going to have to follow me. They knew what he meant when he said, come to me. I'm telling you all of this to say, it's a much richer and deeper calling when Jesus says, come to me, that we usually give it credit for. We usually preach this passage, um, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, as a sort of, listen, I know you're hurting, come to Jesus, let him touch you, and you'll go away better. That's not what he has in mind when he says, come to me. He has this whole picture of a life that comes to him and comes with him. And the two cannot be separated. And so if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, there's only one calling. So even though Jesus' call was simply to come to him, the disciples understood it the way I'm explaining it today. You can't do one without the other. Now, let's get back to our question about how he can offer us rest when we come to him, and at the same time say, if you come to me, then you're going to have to lay down your life. Discipleship is so costly the way he describes it. And let's, let's be absolutely confident about this. No matter where you look in scripture, discipleship, following Jesus, is costly. Now I know that it would be easier for me as a pastor to stand up here and tell you guys that what Jesus does is offers you all kinds of roses and candy and all that kind of stuff and doesn't ask you to follow him in any kind of a way. That all you have to do is say yes and open the package of the free gift that he gives you and that your life will be wonderful from here on out. I wish I could tell you that, but to do that, I would have to put this book down because the Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible says is if we're going to come to Jesus, we're going to have to follow Jesus. They're one and the same. Discipleship is costly. Let me illustrate this for you. Go to the Gospel of Luke. So if you're in Matthew, just go a couple books to the right. Before you get to John, you will find Luke. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus can be um, accused of a lot of things, but you can't accuse him of hiding the message. This is as bold a statement as he could possibly make. This is like offensively bold. He says, if you're going to come after me, your love for me, your devotion to me, the degree to which you surrender your life to me has to be so great that even your love for your mother or your children or your sister pales in comparison. Wow. That's a big deal. That's a high calling. He's not pretending that if you come to him, it's just going to be wine and roses and no more problems. If you come to him, there's going to be a cost. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says that we are to come to God and make our lives a living sacrifice. He says that to be a follower of Jesus, you have to make your life a living sacrifice. And frankly, that's harder than a dead sacrifice. I mean, it's one thing to go, I die for my cause. People have died for their causes for thousands of years. Of course people die for a cause. Jesus is asking us to live for him. He's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Crawl up on the altar 
as a sacrifice to God and stay there and don't come down, he says. That's a high cost. Go to John chapter 15. John is just one book to the right of Luke. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. Jesus again speaking to his followers, those who answered this call. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, persecute, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now, I, I, I spent some time a couple of weeks ago talking about the cost of discipleship, and it's not my intention to re-preach that sermon. But I want to make sure that we're absolutely on the right page here when we understand that it's not just, as I said a couple of weeks ago, that if you follow Jesus, you may still suffer in some serious ways, that following Jesus doesn't negate any possible suffering in your life. What Jesus is saying is that to come to him is an all-or-nothing proposition. He's saying that we have to lay our lives down and become his. And, and that's not generally the way it's talked about by evangelists today. So we need to get it very clear. So that brings us back to this. How does this work? How do we follow Jesus and find rest on the one hand, and then on the other hand, how do we find that coming to Jesus has this very high cost of discipleship? I mean, which is it? Is it come to Jesus and find rest, or is it come to Jesus and pay a high price? The answer is yes. It's both. And we struggle with this, and I think part of the reason we struggle with this is because we have this come-to-me picture in, my, in our minds, like going to a doctor, you go to a doctor, you get a shot, you feel better, and then you go on with your life. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. And it's so important for us to get that straight. The Apostle Paul certainly understood this. Remember last couple weeks ago, I, we went to, I think, 2 Corinthians 11, and we looked at that list of things that Paul said, all these bad things have happened to me since I started following Jesus. I've been stoned, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been imprisoned, I've been whipped, all of these kind of things that he had had to deal with. He understood a little bit about the high cost of discipleship, but still he found his rest in God. And I want to show this to you in Philippians chapter 3. Go to Philippians, the right, just keep going several books to the right after Galatians and Ephesians, you're going to come to Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to pick this up in chapter 3, verse 7. He's just gone down this resume of all the things that he had going for him, how he was well-educated, from the right family, wealthy, well-respected, all of those kinds of things. And then he says this in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Philippians. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." I want you to stop and notice his words. Look at what he says in verse 10. That I may know him. That's a good thing, right? We can get excited about that. And the power of his resurrection. We can get really excited about that. That's why we rejoice on Easter. Remembering his resurrection power that is carried out in our lives, right? So we may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Wait a second. I thought we were talking about power and resurrection. Now we're talking about suffering and death. I know you guys are bright, and this probably doesn't have to be pointed out to you, but there's no resurrection without a death. Right? So, so we talk about this resurrected life, that I'm going to be raised up with Christ, 
And, and, and Paul talks about this in great detail. We don't have time to visit all these passages, but basically the teachings of Paul are this, that we die with Christ in the old self and we become someone new. And now we are born again as a new creation in Christ. We get this whole new life, the power of his resurrection, that we know him, that we can live in that abundance of life. But the old man has to die for that to happen. And as long as we just keep fanning the embers of the old fleshly life and just keeping a little bit of that alive so we can sort of enjoy that and then go back to God, we are not experiencing life the way Jesus intended it to be. And we scratch our heads and go, you know, I tried the Christian thing, but it just didn't really work for me. And I think it must break the heart of God to look at so many people that he loves so much who are just struggling like they're swimming upstream because they refuse to let go of that which he called them to let go of, their own burden, so they could take his light burden instead. And we struggle under the weight of it. And this same Paul, who knows so much about how, how he had to give things up in order to pursue the fellowship of Christ, turn to chapter 4 of Philippians, and look what he says. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you may be sitting there still struggling with what I've been saying this morning and saying, I don't really understand this. You're saying that, that somehow to have this great abundant life, this peace and this joy and this rest for my soul that Jesus offers me, I have to be willing to walk with Jesus, even though that means carrying my own cross and dying to self. And I don't see how this all works. I really don't comprehend this. And to you, I would say, join the crowd. None of us comprehends this. That's why he says, you don't have to be anxious, but you lay down your burden at the feet of Jesus, and he gives you a peace that surpasses comprehension. Because it's not the kind of rest we're used to. We're used to physical rest. We're, we're, we're used to resting our minds. He says, I'm going to give you rest for your soul. It's a whole different deal. There is a peace. And some of you can say amen to this from your own lives. There is a peace that surpasses understanding. That even while the, the storm rages around you, you are at rest. Last week, I think it was last Sunday, we sang, It is well with my soul. Right? The, the, the guy that wrote that song, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul, his name is Horatio Spafford, and, and the, the, the writing of the song is a very interesting story. He had gone through a series of terrible, terrible, devastating tragedies. He basically had lost his business in the Chicago fire. Um, he had a, a son who was sick unto death, who finally died. He had these two daughters and a wife, and they got on a ship to go to England where they were going to join a friend of theirs, um, Pastor D.L. Moody, who is a well-known evangelist. And he was going to be preaching in England. And so he, he, had to, he had to finish up the loose ends of his business and taking care of the real estate and insurance issues with the Chicago fire. And so he put them on the boat to join them later. And they went on the boat, and as they got about halfway there, there was a point in which the ship sank. And his wife and his daughters died. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a bad month, but you never had a month like that. And he got on a ship to head to England, and he asked the captain to let him know when they were above that spot where the other ship had sank. And when they got above that spot, the captain came and got him, and he went out on the deck just looking into the water and thinking, my children and my wife died here. And he took out a pen and paper, and he wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's what he was calling us to. When he says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul, 
He is not saying that I will keep you from facing difficulty. He is saying that in the midst of those storms, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when Satan buffets, that no matter what happens, I can say with confidence, it is well with my soul. There is peace, there is joy, there is rest that cannot be explained. And I cannot sing that song without weeping. Because every time I think about the struggles and the challenges that I have faced in my life from time to time, the losses that I have endured, the, the, the pain that I have felt, and I realize that it is absolutely true that while the pain is still painful, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. It is well with my soul. I can have rest in Jesus Christ. It's a powerful, powerful truth. He goes on, Paul does in Philippians 4, if we skip down to verse 11, he says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And when he says I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he doesn't mean nothing's impossible for me. He means I can endure any circumstances because no matter what, it is well with my soul. And, and if you want to know how he learned this secret, the secret to contentment that he tells us here, where you're not dependent upon your circumstances for your, for your happiness, but instead your joy transcends circumstances, he says, I'll tell you how it is. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, what I think is probably one of Paul's life verses, if you, if you will, and he says, I learned this lesson, that I have one purpose, and that is to be pleasing to God. Whether at home or absent, I just want to be pleasing to God, he says. And that desire to be pleasing to God, being placed above everything else, puts us in a position where circumstances no longer get to be Lord of our lives. Because while we endure difficult circumstances, we can say, Lord, how would you have me go through this storm in a way that is pleasing to you? And I can be successful even while I'm going through a storm, even while I'm going through the loss of a loved one, even while I'm going through the loss of uh, a job, even while I'm going through the loss of a dream or a hope, even while I'm watching things crumble all around me and I have no control. God says, listen, there's a peace that surpasses understanding. Come to me. Come with me. I will give you true rest. That's why Psalm 46.10 is a reminder when God says, Cease striving and know that I am God. And I, I'm sure that God just longs at times to put his arms around each one of us and say, My son, my daughter, stop crying. Let me hold you. Let me comfort you. Stop trying to fix it. Stop putting your hope in things that cannot and will not last. Cease striving and know that I am God. And some of us really, really struggle with that. It's not easy to take my hands off my burden. You know, it's not easy to take my keys to my life and say, Lord, you can have these. I'll be in the back seat. We go wherever you take us. It's not easy. I don't have to tell you that. Some of you will know. If, you, if you're a mother, remember when your child was an infant, like a newborn. Remember the first time, moms, that you left the newborn baby with just dad. And you went somewhere. Right? It's a horrifying moment in your life. I don't care where you went. I promise you didn't have any fun. All you were doing was thinking, when am I going to get home? I wonder if the baby's still alive, right? And, and as soon as you got home, you like burst through the door and went looking for the kid. Is she alive? Is she breathing? Is she diapered? Is she dressed? You know, did, did the basics get taken care of? Because even though you look at your husband and go, well, he seems like a reasonably together guy. And, and you go, I know he loves this child but I'm just not sure he can handle this job. I'm just honestly not sure. And, and when you go and you come back and say, oh, look, the baby's still alive. 
See, I think for a lot of us, saying to Jesus, yes, I'm going to come with you, feels a lot like that. Even when we do take some steps with him, we're just going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is this going to work out okay? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's gonna... Because when we get our own hands off the wheel, we're just so afraid that it's going to drive into a ditch. Guys, let's remember who God is. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb and has watched over every moment of your life until now and protected you and given you everything that you need. Are we really afraid that this all-knowing, all-loving, perfect, holy God is going to somehow drop us on our heads? There's no way. We have to be willing to accept His rest. He says, come to me. My yoke is easy. Do you know why His yoke is easy? Because He's the big ox. He takes all the weight. Do you know why His burden is light? Because he carries it. And you walk along with him with your hands on it as though you're part of the team. He loves us. And he has a plan for our lives that is so much greater than what we have settled for. And I just want to stop here and say this. Some of us are sitting here today with burdens that are smashing us down and taking away the life that Jesus came to give us. And we don't have to live that way. I'm going to ask Ricky to come up. He's going to play a song for us. And as he gets ready, let me just introduce it by saying, we're calling this sermon series, Come As You Are. Because there's this idea that we have that somehow... You know, if I'm going to come to Jesus, I'm going to have to get my act together and then, then maybe Jesus will accept me. And if we understand it that way, we've missed the point of the whole gospel. See, the point of the gospel is that Jesus sees you as you are. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he still says, come to me and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, hey, fix up what's broken and then you'll be worthy to be a part of my team. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. And so there are probably people sitting here right now who are struggling under the weight of a burden that God never intended you to carry. There may be some people here today who have never come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You've heard about God. You, have, you, have, um, you, you, you think Jesus is a good teacher and a good man, but you're not so sure about if he's really God and the only way and you're here because you want to find out about that, I say to you, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Keep coming and listening for as long as it takes for you to get a clear understanding of who he is. But if you're here today and you don't yet know him, here's what I want you to know. The scripture says we are all sinners, every one of us, that we can't save ourselves, and that the result of our sin is separation from God for eternity. That's the reality. And then it also says God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to take on our burden, and to pay the price. And he says, come to me, and if you'll come to me and lay down your life, I will pick you up and give you life abundantly. You don't have to get washed up. You don't have to get dressed up. You don't have to get your life cleaned up. You just have to and as Ricky begins to sing, I just want to ask you to pray. Lord, is there something that I need to let go? And listen to the words of this song and let God minister to your heart. Come out of sadness wherever you've been. Come broken hearted. Rescue begin. Come find your mercy. Will sinner come kneel? The earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burden. 
invite you to just bow your heads and connect with the Lord in prayer because there, there are really two groups of people that I, I want to speak to right now. One is if you're here today and you don't know what it is to really walk with Jesus, that's, that's not been a part of your experience. This may be the most important moment of your life. Because he's calling you. And the voice is undeniable. And if that resonates in your heart, and you know that it is time for you to lay down your burden and to just accept his grace and come to walk with Jesus, I want you to do that before you leave here today. There's no need to walk one more step carrying the burden that Jesus already died to to take away from you. And the other group of people that I want to talk to right now is those who who know Jesus and yet your current circumstances are such that the burden seems to be getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And you just really need to, as an act of your will, lay it down. And just take Jesus' nail-pierced hand and walk with him yoked together get back to that joy and that peace that surpasses understanding because it transcends circumstance. And I'm not going to belabor this, but what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask Ricky in just a moment if he would just maybe sing one more verse. And while he's singing, if you would like prayer, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you just need to lay down a burden, but you know that God is speaking to your heart right now. I'm going to ask you to do something I rarely do. I'm going to ask you to just stand up while Ricky sings. And you can just stay where you're at. Just stand up where you are. If you really want to connect with this calling that God has given you. And you want to lay down your burden and be yoked with Jesus. And after Ricky has sung one more verse, we're just going to pray together. And so during this time, if the Lord is working in your heart, don't make it about show but don't let it hold you back if there are others around. If you need to stand up and be prayed for, just stand up where you are as Ricky sings, and then we'll pray for you. 
So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. So overcome, oh, you're not too far. down your heart, lay down your heart, come as you are, come as you are. The Lord is putting it on your heart to stand. Please don't waste this opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Just stand where you are, and we're going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, by your grace and by your power, you have offered us a life that is beyond our wildest dreams, truly amazing. And Father, there are people in this room right now, some who are standing, who are willing to just say, you know, I'm, I'm facing some stuff and I just, I just need to let go and I need to let God be my everything so that my joy can be restored and I can live a life of peace. Father, I pray for each of those people right now. Father, whatever it is, whatever the struggle, whatever the fear, whatever the, whatever the repentance that is needed, I pray, God, that you would meet them where they're at, and they would lay down their burdens, and that they would be yoked with you. And Father, I pray for those people who may be standing or even seated today we're saying, I know that I've not been walking with Jesus and I need to come into a saving relationship with him. And if that is you, I, I want to encourage you that in the quiet of your own heart, all you have to do is surrender. Just say, Lord, it's not going to be about me anymore. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need your grace. So I accept your free gift. Make me new, and I will walk with you the rest of my life. Father, may your grace abound where sin once reigned. May your grace abound. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite everybody else to stand. We're just going to close as I pray over you and ask for God's blessing on your lives. May God have his way with us. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless in ways that only you know how to bless. That you would meet needs that only you can meet. That by your grace and by your power, you will carry us. For Lord, we want to live for you. We want to walk with you. And we want to see you transform us and through us transform this world for your glory. And so I pray for your blessing and leadership in every life in this room that you would have your way and you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.